And we're live. Thank you all for joining us back for another episode of the Media Maestros Pod. So glad to have you. Glad to have you here. We're ready to get back into it. I'm one half of your team, Ram, with the one and only Ray. Ray, how are things going, bro? It feels like it's been a little while. It has. It's been a little bit, but I'm glad to be back. Glad to be back doing this. No technical difficulties? Yeah, no uh, no storms, no you know issues recording. We're all good. We're all good. It's good to see you. I'm glad the people are here with us, able to see us. We've got a lot on our plate today. Yeah, it's a big one. It's been active. There have been some big movies, some, some big albums that released, and uh, I'm excited to get into it. So, Where would you like to start? Uh, that's a great question because I just finished watching a movie not too long ago, huge release called Oppenheimer. Okay. Now, I know you saw that as well, Ray. Where were, you know, where are we at with it? Oppenheimer, you know, Christopher Nolan's latest release, uh, something that I was anticipating, waiting for ever since I got that uh, initial teaser that came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And I was really excited for this. I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Same, you know, bro. Um, a few of his movies are some of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. You know, talk about Inception, Interstellar. I love Tenet, which was the last one. And, and now we're here. So, yeah, this is uh, something I was looking forward to. And I think it, I think it really delivered and the cast is stacked huge um, cast huge cast but starring uh killian murphy as the titular character j robert oppenheimer and it 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 chronicles his life beginning you know when he um is in his grad school um phase and he's we actually get introduced to like a lot of famous scientists, physicists, mathematicians. Yeah, geniuses. Uh, film, you know, uh, Bohr and and Einstein, which people were uh, <laughs> excited to see that uh, portrayal. Hmm. But yeah, um, it just, the, the the man who is considered the father, father of the atom bomb, um, the director of the Manhattan Project, which led to the um, bombs that were dropped on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima during World War II. Mm-hmm. So just showing, le- you know, everything leading up to that point and the after effects of that situation. Um, a uh, somewhat of a trial, a hearing, something of that sort that he is exposed to, and all of the things that uh, he was involved with are being presented to him to determine if he should. Uh, get his uh, security clearance reinstated. And there's like this other storyline, you know, there with the black and white scenes of uh, Strauss and him um, trying to get, uh, he has his own hearing for getting into the, um, was it the cabinet? Yeah, uh, the cabinet. So, so um, those kind of dueling stories happening, you know, from, the past and the the future so it was a really interesting watch yeah really well done i also was a part of the oppenheimer phenomenon and watching this i went into it really not knowing what to expect i, I love going into movies as blind as i can be and i knew it was about the the father of the atom bomb but i had no clue it would be such a a biopic of oppenheimer but also the the characters he encountered 
some of the tribulations mm-hmm. he had before, during, and after that atom bomb. And even thinking about the the context of the dropping of the atom bomb on Japan near the end of the war, you know, took us back to high school social studies. Oh yeah. And one thing that I really admired about this film was how how aware Nolan was of the the not necessarily the symbolism, but just how important this was. I think it would have been easy to tell the story and kind of skate over how controversial it was, how heavy it must have been of a burden to carry, knowing that he was the father of what was such a devastating, probably the most devastating weapon ever created. I loved it. What'd you think about how Nolan interwove those thoughts of morality and justice and what was right with the story of Oppenheimer? Yeah, so this is a story um, that's taken from a novel. So a novel was written about this and like the life of Oppenheimer. And he had basically adapted that novel to this. So it's not kind of like just a straight up biopic where, you know, born, childhood, blah, blah, blah. All, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's mostly just his professional career that's being shown. And in, in particular, the, the after effects of his creation. Um, so I yeah I agree that he um, was intentional in showing the the devastation and the the effect on the characters that this whole kind of thing was going you know had on everyone that was involved the the back and forth different characters leaving for moral reasons different characters coming in the whole you know communism. Um, storyline the, yeah. the Jewish aspect of it him yeah. being yeah. a Jewish man um, and then uh, you know going into World War II and that um, kind of side to it as well so there are definitely a lot of um, morality issues that he's playing with uh, different themes and I think he he does it very well I mean this is something that a lot of people have been talking about since the release on you know how it was done you know people complaining that they the film doesn't show you know some of the um like the the direct effects on the japanese people also like the the native american um, people that lived in the land los alamos Mm -hmm. like in that area and the effects that it had on them and people you know have been kind of uh criticizing it on that um point so uh yeah i think that's fair and i think that that was something that was overlooked. I, I found myself wondering how Nolan would portray the dropping of the bomb and actually how it must have impacted Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But what did you think about that? I mean, personally, I thought that it was well done the way that he demonstrated it, even though we didn't see any images of the Japanese. We didn't see any images of the actual dropping of the bomb. They found out, you know, as they would have back in the, uh, the 40s through television. Well, not television, excuse me, through the radio and through kind of <laughs> a call that, you know, this is what's happening. This is what's happened. What did you think about that portrayal and about maybe some of the scenes that followed where we see some of the thoughts that he's having of visualizing, you know, people's faces melting off and buildings being blown away? Yeah, I thought those scenes were incredibly memorable. When I look back at this film. I think um, any film that deals with the psyche of a situation is interesting to me kind of reminded me of the the film Spencer and showing kind of the um, mental headspace, headspace that Princess Diana was in mm. um, during her life. It kind of reminded me of that. 
And, you know, I do have some pushback on the people that are complaining about how it's done because I think it's kind of a slippery slope when you try to say that, you know, this film was made to tell this story and yeah. complaining that it doesn't have certain things that you want in it when there are other forms of media that focus on that side of it and, yeah, you know, actual Japanese filmmakers that are speaking on that side. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's where that should be. And you should go and seek out those films if you want to get kind of that perspective on it. But this film is is doing what it's supposed to do and showing, you know, Oppenheimer side and people around him and everyone that was involved in um the Manhattan Project and, and forward. So yeah, I think I think Nolan did well, did really well in, you know, going through the it's a three hour movie, very long, but <laughs> very long. Know, I, I never felt bored watching it because he just the pacing was was well done. The directing, cinematography was great. Exceptional. And he just was able to to weave in and out of these, you know, storylines and characters in a masterful way, in my opinion. Yeah, I think this is definitely at the top of Nolan's <laughs> filmography. And mm -hmm. I think that so much of that is because of the way that this story, which I think maybe in a textbook could read pretty stale and pretty boring, is filled with so much feeling, so much emotion. Mm -hmm. I think about the and the way that he portrayed, like, as you said, his mental headspace. I think about, for example, how when he's in the kind of interrogation room with the kind of kangaroo court and he's detailing the story of the woman that he fell in love with, the who was a communist, and mm -hmm. how he's reminiscing to their encounter and how they met up one last time in the hotel. He left his <clears throat> he left his private post. And as he's recalling the fact that he slept with this woman. He's actually visualizing himself in the the room, having sex on kind of the table in front of everyone else. I think that that was really well done, but it also demonstrates his headspace. You know, I think about how after the bomb has been dropped, he's giving this speech to a lot of young, really supportive, passionate Americans that are excited. And as he's saying these lines, he's kind of saying them as if he's not even in his body. You know, he's like, I wish we would have dropped him on the Germans mm, and they're mm. cheering and there's raucous and it's loud. But yet he hears nothing because he feels no passion, no joy in this. I think that was exceptionally well done. Yeah. And that scene, he's kind of saying what he knows that they will want him to say so that they'll apply. But he doesn't actually feel yeah. the words that he's saying. He's disassociated from it. Yeah. And I uh, the, the first scene that you mentioned about, you know, showing that's uh, the sexual scene. I was taking it as like the the wife's perspective because as she's hearing that story, she's kind of like visualizing what happened at that time. And then she gets, you know, a little upset about it afterwards. So um, that's, that's kind of how I interpreted that scene. Yeah. I think that's applicable. You know, I also think another analysis or interpretation could be the fact that as he's revealing this, you know, the scene starts with him naked, sitting in the chair naked. Mm -hmm. And I think that indicates the fact that he's bare. You know, he's exposing all. They see him for who he is at his fullest. You know, there's no hiding. There's no protection. I think that's another really well well done directorial decision to really give it life as opposed to just saying, I cheated on my wife. I had an affair. Yeah, I agree. One other decision that I really appreciated from Nolan, and I think that shouldn't go overlooked, is the way the film ended. Mm. And a spoiler alert for those that may 
B have not seen it yet. Definitely encourage you to check it out before, but I think that it's easy in biopics to make the main character, the good guy. And to have him be remembered as the hero of the story. Mm. But as you mentioned, the wife, I love the line where she gave where after he's gone through this interrogation and after he's lost his security clearance and been found essentially to be a communist or a communist sympathizer. She says to him, she says, did you think that if you let them tar you and skin you alive, that you'd be the good guy? History's not going to remember you that way. And I think that was powerful because I felt some sort of a, a martyrdom from Oppenheimer and letting himself take the fall and letting himself be maybe villainized in that moment to live forever and in, in glory. But as you think about what he truly did, and even just kind of his character, the way that he was a womanizer and was a bit of a arrogant kind of selfish, self-entitled person throughout the entire film, I think we're left feeling not much sympathy for this guy. I mean, what'd you think? Yeah, I think, um, I think you are dealing with like Nolan painting a whole human character. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate, you know, just not because it, like, like you said, it can be easy to kind of take certain character traits of a person and then just make them that as opposed to like diving into the human, the actual human and, you know, again, going into the psychology and whatnot. So I don't think that it is exactly like black and white as people kind of um, either want it to be or try to make it out to be. I think that he's dealing with um, obviously like a person that, you know, made a lot of mistakes in his life, done a lot of bad things. Yeah. But just give it, you know, just not um, shying away because you could just say like, oh, you know explicitly this is a monster don't like him <laughs> you know you should but just showing it on screen and then yeah. just letting you kind of feel the things that he's feeling at different uh, points of the film and kind of get your own uh conclusion on who this man was what his true feelings was why he did what he did i think is important in the storytelling that nolan did Really, really well said. I think that's a great analysis of the film as a whole. It's funny you mentioned humanity and Nolan's presentation of the human condition. True and full. And as I think about humanity and what it means to be a human, it makes me think of our next film up for discussion. And that's Barbie. Mm. There was a huge doubleheader between Barbie and Oppenheimer. (laughs) Barbenheimer, if you will. That's right. And I think we both saw Barbie this past weekend, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, Barbie is another highly anticipated film from another great director, Greta Gerwig, who has um, who filmed uh, Lady Bird and Little Women, two films that I really enjoyed, Lady Bird in particular. So a lot of people were trying, you know, this is obviously a huge brand and how she was going to tackle a film about Barbie, what that would mean. And I think that, you know, there are a lot more mature themes of existentialism, thoughts of death, um, you know, depression, things like that, that are sprinkled into the film that a lot of people may not have been expecting. Um, so what did, what did you think about the film? Yeah, so this was my actual first introduction to Greta Gerwig. And 
Mm. I was blown away. I did not grow up playing with Barbies. I did not grow up much of a <laughs> growing up with much of an emotional attachment to Barbies, but I found myself absolutely head over heels about this movie. Mm. I loved it. I loved the the depth. I loved the breadth as well. I loved the intentionality. I loved a lot of the decisions that really made this film mean something. And I know mm-hmm. a couple of pods ago, we talked about should films have a meaning? Should films have a point? Should films really try to tell a tale for the real world? And I think this film really does all of that. Uh, you mentioned themes. One of the themes that really hit the hardest with me was the patriarchy. And I think it was mm-hmm. kind of, they did hit it over the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think some people may not have taken too kindly to, but yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought that it was, it was funny. I thought that it was emotional. I thought that it was insightful. I thought that it was, I thought the pacing was just enough to keep you on your toes would allow you to not necessarily know what was coming next and know how the entire narrative will be resolved. I'm curious what you think about the point the movie was trying to make. And if you think that it hit home, or if you think it was a bit overdone, maybe a little overcooked, what was your takeaway after watching it all? So I do think that um, there were definitely points in the film where I thought, you know, things were heavy handed, things were on the nose, things of that nature. Um, Less can be more sometimes, as I like to say, uh, especially in films. But I don't think that takes away from the the quality of the film and the quality of the message. Um, In particular, you have that speech that... um, America Ferreira's character gives towards mm-hmm. the end of the film. Um, I think that's a really powerful monologue that a lot of women can definitely relate to um, and men can understand as well. So, you know, you do have these moments that that really do try to hammer it home, um, but it works because of what the film is and what it's been kind of the whole time if you're really paying attention and it's not just coming out of nowhere. Like, it's yeah. not just this random film and then all of a sudden they're like you know (laughs) giving these messages out so it's just leading to that and that's kind of the culmination of all of the um events and thoughts of the characters good point really good point i um i found it to be along with that to be really humorous in the ways it conveyed that very real theme and point you know i think a lot of the somewhat satirical kin and the way that mm. he is just this over-dramatization of patriarchy and kind of male supremacy. I mm. found it to be relatively well done, although it was a mm. bit on the nose and a bit, unre- I don't want to say unrealistic because it's a movie about Barbie. So, of course, it's going to be unrealistic. But I thought that it was well done, especially for a film that I think you don't go into it expecting such significant themes and such real-world application. I think it was a fun yet insightful look into the world of Barbie. I agree. And, you know, since we uh, recently talked about 2001 Space Odyssey, they had the the 2001 opening in this film, which was a great nod. Um, There's also references to the Matrix, you know, the the different shoes, (laughs) red pill, blue pill kind of thing. So I appreciated those, those movie references as a movie buff. Yeah, I think that it uh it, it paid off for the viewers and the the listeners of the Media Maestros. <laughs> and speaking of viewers and listeners, 
there was a, a huge album that dropped this past week that I think we both listened to. Yeah, we did. Man, this was, you know, what, five five years uh, since the last it's been a uh, tra- Travis Scott release with Astro World. It's been a minute. <laughs> and we finally got to Utopia. 2023's and biggest release of the year so far. Absolutely. Big, big release, big artist. Um, you know, it's a pretty hefty uh, album, you know, over an hour, like hour 15, maybe something like that. Yeah, 19 like 18 tracks. Song. Yeah, 19 tracks. Yeah. 19. So, yeah, it's it's a heavy hitter. And uh, I think that Travis Scott um, knocked it out of the park. I think that this is really? one of the best produced albums that I've heard in a really long time. I mm-hmm. appreciate the um, experimental aspects of the production mm-hmm. of the uh, just the the song structures, how it switches, and how how it has these like weird samples that are that are intertwined into it. That's just my bag. I love stuff like that. I listen to a lot of you know uh, alternative, underground, weird hip hop like clip. Being Death Grips, Danny Brown, mm-hmm. you know, JPEG Mafia, things of that nature. <laughs> yeah. So love that. You get a lot of um you hear the influence from Kanye West all over this, or a lot of it, you know, Yeezus and um Life of Pablo in particular. So it production-wise, it really, really uh hit the mark for me. And it's an album that I think is going to stand the test of time. I think it mm. uh, I think it might be my favorite Travis Scott album and it's only been a couple wow. of days since it's been released. I, I love the direction that he went in. I think this is the most creative album that I've heard in a very long time. Wow. That's heavy praise. Huge praise. Wow. <laughs> I'm a little bit taken <laughs> aback, I'm gonna be honest. I um I thought it was cool. You know, it was cool. To be completely honest, it felt to me like they assess what worked from some of his previous products. I think of Sicko Mode, for example. You know, there's the beat switches. There's some of the kind of, not necessarily experimental, but a little kind of barring from the alternative. And it felt like they did that and said, let's just do that like 15 times. And I think you talk about creativity. I think so much of, mm. not so much of it, but some of it really felt like this is what's going to work. Let's put it all together and this should work. I think, for example, the Drake track, Meltdown. It seemed like, hey, Sicko Mode was really cool. How about we like take that and do it again, but like do it inverse? I don't know about that. That doesn't really, no, I gotta, doesn't really sit right with me. I got to push back on that because I think to to whittle it down to like this is what Sycamore did and they they went off of that. This is something that Travis Scott has been doing since the early parts of his career, having like multiple beat switches and and crafting songs like that. It's all over rodeo too. You know, the longer songs on rodeo do the same thing, you know, and then having the features come in on the second part. So is I, I think this is just true to him. I think this is might be the truest Travis Scott album that we've gotten it, it's just all him and he's that's letting fair. it all hang out you know that's fair and it, I, it may it I may, think it's more I'm sorry what were you saying 
I was just going to say, I think it's more genuine than you're giving it credit for it. That's fair. It may be that I'm not the target on I may not be the truest Travis Scott fan. I really love Birds in the Trap. And I really, okay. really liked Astro World. And I think, as you okay. said, this does skew a bit differently from those two to be a bit more of the rodeo. I wasn't as in the rodeo. Mm. So I think it may okay. be my personal kind of inclinations, which is fair. Which is fair. I think for me personally, I fair. love I love K pop, for example. <laughs> <laughs> the most accessible, easy going song. Bro, I, it may, I get it. I, I get love it. that song, and everyone else I seems to not love it. So it you seems know? like this is for the Travis Scott fans. It's for the real fans, the day one fans. Yeah, man. It's like and, getting chicken tenders at a fancy restaurant. All right. You know? <laughs> For those that know me, they know that I'm a chick- chicken tenders kind of source. So I respect it. I think that we will see if this stands the test of time. But ultimately, I think yeah, it was a, a good listen. We waited, like you said, about five years for this. And you said Travis Scott delivered. What's your final verdict? Man. Uh, I, I got to give it, you know, a couple more listens. I got to give it its due diligence. But yeah, this is this is shaping up to be my favorite Travis Scott album. Um, I think it's one of the best albums that I've heard in a long time. And that is that's my take. And you've heard it here first with the media maestros. Well, <laughs> it wouldn't be the media maestros if we didn't leave you with our blast from from. The past. (laughs) We're going to get it. Keep listening. We're going to get it one of these days. But in honor of Christopher Nolan's masterpiece with Oppenheimer, we want to share with you all one of his earlier films and a film that I personally think has stood the test of time some 22 years later. And I'm referring to a film by the name of Memento. Mm. Memento stars Guy Pearce. And it's a film in which a man is having some sort of memory issue in which he can't quite tell what's what. He can't quite tell when is now or is Mm -hmm. now when. And I don't (laughs) want to give away too many spoilers because this film has one of the best twists at the end of all time. And this is one of the first films where we really got to see Christopher Nolan's style, especially when it comes to time. Ray, I know you've seen this. What do you think of it? Yeah, it's it's in my top 250. It's, you know, one of my favorite um, psychological thrillers of all time. Um, top five Nolan for sure. And I, you know, it, it kind of shows like what he can do as a director. It's, it's one of his early um, installations. And, you know, he's he's become such a, a staple in this generation of filmmaking. And, you know, it's it's cool to see like, you know, the low budget beginnings of his career. 22 years later, the film still lives on. And although low budget beginnings may be the intro, there's still more to come for us at the media maestros. We thank you all for your time, for your listens for another episode. We're out. Peace. See you.